Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Who Scored's very own Ben, and we've got Jonathan Wilson with us as always as well. Busy weekend of Premier League action coming up again, but we're going to start off with the Champions League. The semi-finals, of course, took place this week. And Ben, Vinny Jr., shout for arguably one of the best players in the world at the moment. He was the player of the week on, on Who Scored in the Champions League, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So we'll go through the eleven initially, and then we'll sort of go back, swing it back round to Vinny Junior. Got Courtois goal. Uh, I've cheated a bit and put Carl Walker up right back with a Serbi Bastoni centre backs and Kamavinga left back. Uh, it's a four-one-three-two. So we've got Hakan Chalanoglu Blue holding with Kevin De Bruyne, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Vinicius Junior in support of Edin Dzeko and Lautaro Martinez. Um, as as Dan said, Vinicius Junior Player of the Week. Um, it is hard to look beyond him as probably the Player of the Season. Uh, probably. The uh, well, best player in the world at the moment. Um, you look at the players ahead of him, arguably Haaland, of course, but Vinicius Junior is the best-rated player in the Champions League for who scored. Um, he's not quite up there in La Liga. I think Griezmann leads the way for that. But, you know, he's really developed his game to become this all-round, world-class winger that just knows how to score every type of goal. He's a threat to any defence. And on current form, um, he'd have to be right up there. Yeah, I won't ask too many questions about that team of the week. That midfield seemed very, very open to me. But Jonathan, Real Madrid's left-hand side. You've got Vinny Jr. running things down the flank, running at defenders, cause Man City a lot of problems. And then left-back, you've got a young central midfield player in, in Camavinga who literally looks like he's been playing left-back his whole life. He still does look a bit raw at times. But he's doing an exceptional job there. He's got a lot in his armourer. Yeah, I think he's a brilliant player, but I much prefer him in midfield. Um, and he's yeah, he's played there half a season. He's done really well there, and he's part of that growing trend of fullbacks going into the midfield. But I still think if you run at him, he looks like a midfielder playing at fullback. He's not a natural fullback. Now you can cover that up and you can get away with it. Uh, but I still think his long term future. I hope his long term future is in midfield because you know I, I think he I think he's an absolutely brilliant midfielder. I think he's merely a very good left back. And I, I do wonder, I was a little bit disappointed that Guardiola didn't, that last sort of 10, 15 minutes, give Mahrez a run against him, just see what happened when he got a proper quick dribbler against him. I sort of understand that there was a, let's keep it at 1-1. But if, if City need a goal late on in the second leg, I, I think that's that's definitely an avenue they can they can pursue. Uh, because this is junior doesn't track back at all, which is part, you know, it's part of the game plan that he stays high. So they've always got that, that outlet for counter-attack. Um, particularly when they play that sort of very lopsided four four two that they did on uh, Tuesday, um, but I, you know, I, 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 they're two very very good players. They combine very nicely, but I think defensively it's potentially exposable. Yeah, we spoke last week about the array of options that Real Madrid are going to have in in midfield next season. I guess long term, you know, he may play. I, I imagine he'll probably play left back next season because of those array of options but long term in his game I think he will end up in midfield but it's probably a good learning curve for him in, in a lot of ways to play left back Jonathan yeah I think it never hurts players to to be able to play in multiple different positions um I, you know within reason but I, I think learning how to see the game from a different point of view of the pitch I think that that can only be beneficial uh on, on yeah unless your form really suffers as a result and it's obviously very useful for, for Real Madrid or, or, or France um to have a player who can he can offer you cover in, in multiple positions. I mean, there was, of course, another semi-final last night, but in all honesty, I don't think Milan seemed to realise that it was a derby game or a semi-final. So we'll move away from that and look to preview the Premier League like we always do. So we'll start with Leicester against Liverpool. The famous Peggy Arfexed derby, if anyone remembers him, in goal for both teams on a few occasions. Leicester are in deep, deep trouble, Jonathan. They've got. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because... Rodgers probably didn't really want to be there. Leicester didn't really want him. They stuck with him for so long through the season just to end up getting rid of him. So they may as well have got rid of him in, in the summer. Their the squad's somewhat lopsided at times. If they go down, how many of their players would go on elsewhere and still be Premier League players, Jonathan? Oh, a lot. And I think that's what must be so frustrating for Leicester that it's not that this is a weak squad. It's a, it's a very good squad. I mean, they finished uh, eighth last season. Um and the two seasons before that, is that true? Yeah, the two seasons before that, they finished yeah. fifth. 
Um, so the, the last, yeah, the, the last Deloitte report we've got, which covers uh, twenty to twenty-one, they were the eighth richest club in the Premier League by revenue, and they were finishing eighth. If you look at their since they came up in two thousand fourteen, uh, they're averaging fifty-six points, which would be enough to finish eighth. So they should be finishing eighth. Um, and and you, you you look at the points total since they came up. And everything's been within 12 points of that, apart from the season when they won the title, when they got 81 points. Well, this season, um, they're on 30 points, so they're 26 below. So if they get one more point in the last three games, they're the same amount below this season that they were above the season they won the title. So I, I sort of think they're, they're, they're sort of... They're, they're, yeah, If you think their baseline is 56 points, then... Yeah, the sort of maximum you can gain from that maybe is 25 and the, the maximum you can lose from that is 25. Not many teams hit those maximums or, or minimums, but Leicester are doing so. But but you look at the squad and, and yeah, I think most mid-table Premier League squads maybe, or, or higher will be quite happy with you know, Madison, Castagna, Barnes, uh, Fass, uh, Dewsbury Hall, Tielemans, Ndidi, Tete, Suter, Justin, Pereira, Christensen, um, Soyuncu, if he ever gets back to what he was before the Euros, which seemed to really addle his head. Even Amati and Mendy, I think there's plenty of promise there. So, Not Amati, come on. Yeah. Not, I, not Daniel Amati. Playing in midfield. I don't know why you've yeah, played midfield, fair I, think, I think if he played in midfield, um, there's definitely something there. Uh, I'm not saying he's been playing well the last sort of 18 months or so, but there is something there. Um, so, yeah, it, it, they, in terms of... In terms of sides down at the bottom, player for player, they're by I'd say by some margin the best. Yeah, just it's a strange one because you've reeled off all those names and they're really good players. But I guess the thing is, Ben, you've got all those good players. They haven't really found a settled eleven all season. I think they've had injuries at the back, which which hasn't helped. But they're they're far too easy to play through, Leicester. Yeah, and I think the absence of Ndidi for much of the season hasn't helped them. But I mean. You look at the list that Jonathan just rattled through, and it is a hefty, li- a hefty list of players that are arguably too good to go down. Um, you, you say that anyway on paper, but you know that's never the case in practice sometimes. Um, and I mean, it's it, it's shocking to think they haven't kept a clean sheet since before the World Cup, which speaks of just their defensive issues at the back. I mean, they have no issues in scoring. James Madison is sort of key to that. He's got ten goals and nine assists this season, and he's far and away the best rate player. But it's just the defensive issues and. I think the fact they didn't replace Kasper Schmeichel uh, adequately has really cost them. Using Danny Ward from the outset at the uh, start of the season hasn't helped. And bringing Daniel Everson in this stage of the season certainly, you know, rocked the boat defensively. Um, He should have been starting for them, in my opinion, ahead of Danny Ward. I think he's a much better keeper. But as you say, it's just injuries at the back and crucially the injuries to to Ndidi that has really cost them. Even when I watch Ndidi, he's not the... Not the player that, that he once was. I think Tillman's mobility surgery. is a problem at times. Even though he's an excellent footballer, I think his mobility is a is a problem at times in midfield. But indeed, he had that knee surgery uh, uh, two years ago, gone January. I'm not sure he's ever quite got back to the level he was at before that. No, he's not. He's definitely not the same player. He used to be one of the most fearsome midfielders in the, in the Premier League. Defen- defensively, he was so difficult to, to get past and he really held that midfield to, together for Leicester and he allowed Tillemans and Madison to go and do the things that they were good at and they wouldn't look so so troubled at the back as, as they do now. What do you think's next for, for James Madison? I think we can safely say, even if Leicester stay up, Jonathan, with a year left on his contract, he's probably not going to be at Leicester next season. I asked you a similar question a few weeks ago on James Ward-Prowse. What, what's Madison's level? Um... I mean, he, again, he's. I'm mean, going to give a very similar answer to what, what I gave about Ward Prowse. I guess he's slightly younger than Ward Prowse, so maybe maybe his ceiling is a bit higher. But the the problem is we haven't. It's very hard to know as an outsider how good he is at pressing, uh, and until you know that, and and yeah, how capable he is of taking on board those tactical instructions. And I think we definitely saw, you've seen with England that Gareth Southgate's been sceptical of that. Uh, it's it's there's, it's very difficult to tell, but um, is he is he a city player? No, I don't think he is. Uh, could he play for any of the other six of a, of a big seven? If we're calling them a big seven now, yeah, probably. Uh, all all of them are imaginable. Um, you'd think Liverpool probably are well enough stocked in terms of attacking midfielders or you know forwards that he wouldn't go there. 
it's not an area where you'd say Arsenal need to strengthen. Tottenham could do anything. You know, they there's not a play. You know, there's not a position where they, they wouldn't wouldn't be part, apart from maybe centre forward. But there's not a position where they they couldn't sign a player who'd improve what they've already got. Uh, Newcastle, well, yeah, they they I think they probably do need a. Uh, a bit more creativity. I, th- I think when you're looking at the bench and your options to bring on is, is Almiron for all. He had that purple patch early in the season. I think Madison would be a, a step up from that, albeit a you know, slightly different position. But that, that's an area where they, they probably need bolstering. Maybe they think that the fact that Isaac can play on the left, that that's that sort of covers that Madison position. But uh, I think it's certainly not, not impossible to see him at Newcastle. Um, Manchester United's you have dozens of attacking midfielders, but none of them really seem to work apart from Rashford. So yeah, maybe maybe there. But but in terms of level, there's no reason why why he shouldn't be at that type of club. It's it's just that 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 one doubt is is his capacity to take on board complicated tactical instructions and press and and, and we sort of won't know that till it happens. No, he's one of my favourite players to watch in the Premier League. I think he's a really, really good footballer. My question mark over him at the moment is probably durability. Yeah, also, that's that's and, fair. Yeah, yeah. And also that I don't really know what his what his best position position is. Not, not many teams seem to be playing with number tens nowadays. So where does Madison play? He's played a lot of football, kind of on the the right hand side, but inverted for Leicester, which I'm not sure gets gets the best out of him. Although his his numbers are absolutely fantastic in terms of goals and assists. And actually, Ben, when you look at in terms of the best rated players in the Premier League, when you take out the top seven, he comes out on top, doesn't he? Yeah, he's top of the. I'm seven point two nine, which, as you say, is top of the players when excluding the teams currently in the top seven. Um, that's twelfth overall. So it's clear that he's, you know, effectively shouldering this attacking burden for Leicester. Um, I don't know. I, just, I think it is difficult to see what his level would be. Um, he's still only twenty five, twenty six now. So there's still time to learn, you know, different sides of his game that could see him maybe sort of Liverpool set more central midfield role and number eight role potentially with the licence to get forward. Um, you know, he he's someone who will be still, who will still be playing in the Premier League next season and deservedly so, even if Leicester do stay up, but all the more so if they get, if or potentially when they get relegated. I mean, he's, look, he's he's done his bit. He's, he's, his goal output in terms of numbers of goals and assists is is pretty high, especially at a team that's, that's sitting in the in the bottom three at, at the moment. But I'm the same as you. I'm not. But like you're a Spurs fan, Ben, for example. If Spurs got a new manager and moved away from this this three at the back system, I suppose even if they even if they stayed with it, would you would you take Madison at Spurs? You'd be happy with him. Would he improve Tottenham in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's obviously the question marks over Son and his consistency this season. Uh, Kulisevsky hasn't looked the same player. Uh, he was in the second half of last season. And Tottenham do lack the uh, creativity from the central areas, uh, in my opinion. I think if you can go to a 3-4-1-2 for Tottenham, if they do stick with a three-man defence, he's perfect for that, num- that role with, behind the strikers. If that's Harry Kane or Son or Richarlison, um, you know, you've got someone there who could have that free that freedom to move around in the final third to, you know, put teams to the sword. Tottenham really haven't had that sort of player since Ericsson left. Um, and he would be a welcome addition to Tottenham, in my opinion. I think Tottenham or Newcastle are probably the, the two most likely places that he'll end, end up. He, he was linked with both last summer, actually, but obviously he stayed at stayed at Leicester for the season. I mean, this is a huge game for Leicester. Liverpool on top form at the moment, so it's not great that really Leicester need to win this game, they're, they're really in the mire at the moment. But Jonathan, I suppose one plus for them is that Jamie Vardy has a sensational scoring record against Liverpool. And if Dean Smith's done one thing so far, he has reinvigorated Jamie Vardy. Yes. Um, I, I mean, but it's still still not the Vardy of old, is he? You know, he's still... No. A couple of goals doesn't really change that. I think Vardy is better playing alongside another forward. Um, I think that's quite a difficult thing to sort out when you you've got Leicester's midfield as it is at the moment. Um, that you, you know you think of them in the title season, he was playing alongside uh, Okazaki. Um, I think he's played well off Iheanacho, but Iheanacho is now injured. So as a as a sort of leader of the line, it's I don't think that's ever been his strength, but particularly now that that the age has started to sap at him. Um, but but you know he he's the sort of player who in a crisis yeah has. Yeah, he's somebody you would trust. Yeah, he's somebody who kind of I think is capable of suddenly pulling out a big performance and getting a couple of goals. Um, 
And the you know, Liverpool's high line is, is obviously something he likes playing against because there's space in behind that, that his pace can, can take him into. He's good at shouldering the burden, isn't he, Jamie Vardy? He can kind of carry the weight of a, t- a team on his shoulders, and he's done that with Leicester many times. I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, Barnes has got good numbers this season as well. If Vardy can can start scoring goals, and there's not much of the season left. Madison's a, a good player. Leicester's real problem is in, in defence because attacking wise, they, they have got good players and they, they they should be doing more, but they, they can't defend, and that's what's cost them all season. They, you can't be conceding five at home to uh, sorry away at Fulham if you score three goals at Fulham. You, you should be winning that game, shouldn't you? Was that directed to me or anyone? Anyone? Anyone wants to chip in? Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, yeah, it's it's been the problems for for two years, really. I mean, particularly from set plays, uh, the defensive is just not good enough. And you sort of thought bringing Suter might might help that. Uh, but it, to an extent, it is injuries. Like, if you're a fullback, don't go anywhere near Leicester because you will get cropped. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Burton's played four games, I think. Something like um, that. It's not not a lot. Uh, or maybe it's four league games. Vestergaard uh, just didn't didn't work out for whatever reason. Not a fullback, I know. Sorry, but I'm talking generally about the defence. Johnny Evans has been out for ages. Um, Sionchu's form's fallen off a cliff since the Euros. But then going back to the fullbacks, Justin's been out for however long. Well, Pereira's injured, missed huge chunks. Castagna's only just come back. I don't know, five or six games ago. Yeah, it, it's. I think the the way that they they were unable to stop being bad at defending corners doesn't speak well of Rogers. But equally, if if you've got half a dozen defenders out all the time, that's really difficult. Um, so you know, I have a certain sympathy there. But but yeah, defensively, and of course, the goalkeeping situation doesn't help that when you had somebody as as sort of dominant and 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 vocal as Kasper Schmeichel to lose him. Uh, and I don't think, I mean, whether it's Ward or Everson, to be honest, I know Everson um, had that very good game, the game before last, but I don't think either of them are really up to it. I don't think either of them are Premier League keepers. And that's that's obviously a massive issue. Yeah, they were linked with the Bravka, weren't they, in the, in, in the summer, but Brendan Rodgers decided to go with Danny Ward. And he's, I don't like to pick on goalkeepers, but he he's never looked comfortable. Danny Ward, he doesn't seem to have the, the presence. And like you say, when you're following someone like Kasper Schmeichel, I'm not sure Everson's the answer either, but you know, at least he's he's younger and he'd come off the back of a really good season on loan at, at, at Preston. They just didn't get the defence and the goalkeeper sorted. And by the time they've kind of band-aided, it, it, it's too late. And like I say, they're really, really in the, in the mire. Ben Liverpool, though, is the top four in their hands now. They've gone on this ridiculous run. Manchester United and, and Newcastle have stumbled and dropped points at times. Liverpool just keep going and we're at the point now where you probably wouldn't bet against them sneaking into the top four because they've done it before as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at momentum coming into these final weeks of the season, it's very important. And so if on six on the trot is hugely impressive, especially when their midfield uh, still have their issues. Um, and it is, to an extent, you know, you can only win your final games and hope for the best. But with United slipping up, um particularly on the road, you wouldn't bet against Liverpool leapfrogging them into that top four spot. Obviously, United have that game in hand, but this is the key stage of the season where Liverpool know how to get the job done. Um, they had that uh, wobble a couple of seasons ago uh, where they weren't as uh, as consistent as they have been previously, but again, they ended the season strongly, so they've been in this position before, um, and it's just a case of whether Newcastle are able to hold their nerve in the final weeks of the season to secure their top four spot. They haven't been in this position for a very long time. United, um, you know, they have been in this position, but again, it's unfamiliar territory for Ten Hag. Um, and with the team currently as ruthless as Liverpool breathing down your neck, it's really hard to kind of shake the psychological edge that uh, like Liverpool do have the psychological edge over both those teams above them. So to an extent, it is definitely in their hands. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Man United or Newcastle slipped up to allow Liverpool to top four. Yeah, I mean, all Liverpool are missing at the moment is, a, is an Allison header from a corner, to, to be honest, because it's, it's so reminiscent of, of a couple of seasons ago. Jonathan, who do you I, think? No, I just some... don't think it is. Do you right? not? Well, they've won six in a row, but they battered Leeds, fair enough. Then they've won five games by a single goal, which is Forest, West Ham, Spurs, Fulham, Brentford. It's just an easy one of fixtures. But these were the things they weren't doing earlier on in the season. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think they're playing particularly well. Um, and you know, they, they've got, you know, Villa have got, so Liverpool have got. Um, Villa to play at home and then Southampton away. So, all right, they should win Southampton. Villa's a hard game. 
United's four games, and they've already got a point advantage, don't forget. United's four games, uh, Wolves at home, surely they'll win that. Bournemouth away, well, Bournemouth, if Bournemouth are getting beat off Lampard's Chelsea, surely United will win that. Chelsea at home, they should win that. Fulham home, they should win that. So, I mean, if, if United lose it from here, then that's a, an absolutely catastrophic end to the season for them. Um, he, I mean, who've Newcastle got left? It's, uh, uh, I, I know it's slightly trickier than that, but they've got uh, well, Leeds, then Brighton at home, Leicester at home, Chelsea away. So, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if Liverpool sneak in. I think we've left it too late. I guess it's a positive for them that, that they're ending the season. Well, they've still got some work to do in midfield, Jonathan, but they've got those attacking options again. Now, I just want to ask you about, about Darwin Nunez because Liverpool are a team that they're not frugal, that's the wrong word, but you know they're, they're careful, let's say, with how they spend money. They spent £85 million on a, on a striker there. Did they, did they really need him when they needed to address midfield? Did they really need Darwin Nunez? Especially now they've gone in and bought Gappo as well. Yeah, possibly not. And I, I think there's a lot of sort of, and if it's the kind of thing, it's it's almost impossible to unpick, but there's a lot of whispers come out of Liverpool that he was very much a Klopp signing, that the you know, the, the transfer committee that had done so well over the previous uh, seven years, um, that, 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 that they'd been cautious about that. And you know, there's been a whole load of departures behind the scenes at Liverpool, uh, Michael Edwards most notably, but but others as well. Um, and and you know who knows? I mean, the, the story is Michael Edwards is tired and wants a year off, and he's been very sort of uh, resistant to other offers. So that looks yeah, we can probably take it at face value. Others leaving, are they thinking something similar? You know, it's it's very diff- difficult to tell, but certainly there there are credible rumours. I'm not saying I necessarily believe them, but they're not they're not rumours you can sort of just laugh off that there is some kind of. Um, uh, conflicts too strong a word, but disagreements there with, with within Liverpool's recruitment, and, and Nunez I think is is sort of the the manifestation of that. Um, I don't. I mean, I, there's a, there's that piece that Ian Wright did on my match of a day. It's a week on Saturday where he kept on saying, "Oh, look at all the positions he gets in," and he showed this clip. And Ian Wright was saying, "This is him being a really good player," and it, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it does show him getting into positions. Then it shows him just missing chances of poor yeah, his finishing's not good. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, yeah, okay. At Benfica, he, he suddenly his, his goals per season suddenly left in that last season. That he had, you know, I'm not even sure he'd been a ten goal a season man, and suddenly he's a twenty odd goal a season in in that final season there. And then you wonder, well, will does that mean it might click, or does it mean that actually the true him was the him not scoring many goals before that? And you sort of seen that with Timo Werner. That Timo Werner suddenly had that one season at Leipzig where. He got 30 goals. But nothing in his career before that suggested he was a 30 goal a season man, and nothing in his career since. And I, I don't really know with Nunez. And he's he's such a weirdly sort of cumbersome, ungainly player. I, I don't know. His movement clearly is very good because he does keep getting in those positions. And that, that, I guess, is the big plus. But there's technical stuff to his game that you really worry about. And there's also that oddity. He's, he's a really good volley of a ball and pretty bad kicking a ball on the ground. And You'd think that kicking the ball on the ground is easier, but like somehow it doesn't I mean, seem I, to be I, him. I find both hard in all, in, in all honesty. But yeah, he, he's, he's such a weird player because he, his movement is good and people talk about this chaos that he creates. If you're spending £85 million on a striker, I, w- I want you to be putting the ball in the back of the net now, not in a few years' time. And I don't want chaos. <laughs> I want you to score. Yeah, it's yeah I mean, he, he missed last he, week. He's the sort of player who sort of seem, yeah, if he... If if you if you're a goal behind with twenty minutes to go and you want somebody just to sort of break up the rhythm of a game to just make something different happen, he's a perfect player to bring on. But as you say, eighty five million pounds for that seems like a lot. Because you look at that forward line, if they've got Diaz, Gakpo, and Salah, that looks nice. It looks really balanced. There's no sort of players out of position there, or, or, or Jota playing. Well, actually, any of the three positions. It's sort of you know, where, where does he where does he fit in that? Because he 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 is sort of a, a very different type of player. Um, but I mean, that's you know, as we've seen with City, a little a little bit of uh, of of grit in the oyster can can create the pearl. Nice. Very yeah, you're welcome. 
Very Eric Cantona. <laughs> that was that was Jonathan. Let's talk a little bit about Trent before we move on to, to the next game. Then Ben, what what have you made on his on his new role? Yeah, it's not really surprising. I mean, his defensive shortcomings have obviously been exposed time and time again. Um, so the best thing to do is sort of get him further forward and do what he does best, and that's create chances for um, for his teammates. And that's translated to six assists since that uh, Liverpool draw, uh, sorry, Arsenal draw, where um, that kind of became obvious from then that Klopp was moving Alexander Trent into um, a more midfield role. And, you know... It, it's a, you can't obviously can't say start in central midfield because it comes back to the Camavinga situation that Jonathan spoke about earlier in the show. Um, but it, it, it's a way to maximise his, uh, you know, his chance creation, and it's clearly having a positive effect on Liverpool as they head into the final weeks of the season. You say he can't play midfield. Oh, the, the, the modern fullback does these no, things no. now. I, I, I get that, but. I don't think this is that, it's that clever. I've noticed that Canate keeps picking up bookings because he's having to pull pull across and get himself wider in defensive situations because Trent gets caught at the field. Why can't they just play him in midfield, Jonathan? Because he'd probably be better than a lot of their mid- midfield options. Why can't they, let's say, let's, let's buy a right back in, in, in the summer and move Trent into midfield? Because oh, I think he'd be a sensational midfield player. Well, that that's the um, that, that's the thing. They don't have any other right backs, do they? They, Gomez they, is okay there, but long term you'd want to. Yes, you'd want you'd want to buy one. But is it that um, clever making him just put him so far out of position? Is, is it that clever? Well, I mean, a lot of teams are doing this now, aren't they? Moving fullbacks into midfield. City have done it, obviously. Real Madrid are doing it. Um, they and, and their, their results have have improved since he started doing that. That that that's clearly true. Um, my, my my sort of concern about about him in midfield is his crossing is so good. Do you want to lose that? And sure. I, I I sort of think if their pressing was better, and I think everything with his defensive issues comes down to their, their you know, if Liverpool's pressing isn't good, the thing that gets exposed is Alexander Arnold's defensive capabilities, and that's what happened two seasons ago. You, you know, I mean, you think of that game when they lost at um, away to El Madrid, um, and the I think the first two goals in that game, both in the first half, were Tony Kroos having hours to measure passes and just popping them over Alexander Arnold's head. That's not Alexander Arnold's fault. That's the press isn't isn't preventing Kroos measuring that pass, which is what it should be. So if they get the pressing as good again as it was last season, then. I sort of think that hybrid role, because he is a really good attacking right back and he is good enough to play in midfield and having him centrally means that he can use his, his range of passing and it may be as a way of, of using that range of skills. Otherwise, you have to bring in a right back. You probably play him on the right side of the midfield three so you can still pull wide. You can go outside Salah to get crosses in and, and that might also work. Um, but I, I, I do wonder, this is always my concern about Fullbacks playing in midfield is it, when you're a fullback or, or a centre back, you're used to having the whole game in front of you. You're used to being able to see everything. Um, when you when you when you're making a run forward, you're moving at pace by the time you're getting involved in the action, which is a you know, huge advantage. Can you adjust to not doing that to, to having to to be a bit more static when you're receiving the ball? Maybe you can. I don't know, but that 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 thing's always the doubt. And that, that for me would be the difference between a player who's a fullback who can move into midfield or a midfielder. I mean, I get now that very much in football you have an on the ball and an off the ball system. I understand that. But this is this is not kind of what Man City do with their defenders when, you know, players come inside when Lewis has played and he's playing right back, but then he comes inside and he sits sits next to Rodri. This isn't that. This is giving your right back a free role to go go wherever he wants. And I think, you know, you, you're saying about Liverpool's fixtures. And in some games, they have got a little bit lucky that they've, they've not been caught out. I think if they do that against a really good team, I think there could be problems defensively because, like I said, Canate's got pulled a bit all over the place mm. in certain games. And if you're playing against a really good team, I don't think that's going to work. Yeah, I agree. And you, you, you see Guardiola doesn't do that against really good teams. Yeah, he, he, when... Against Real Madrid, against Bayern, he he plays Walker at fullback or, or Akanji at fullback, and Stone steps forward from centre back, 
which is a much more natural and easy progression. You're mm. very used to the idea now of the holding midfielder stepping back. Well, why shouldn't the central defender step up? Um, and it's obviously a much less disruptive thing because you're not asking a, a player to break the lines laterally. They're just breaking it longitudinally, which is a much more sort of... You know, if you go back to the origins of total football, I don't, you know, there's a lot of guff talked about, oh, all the players interchanged all the time. No, they didn't. They had very set patterns of interchanging where you had a, a 1 3 3 3. The Libero had a sort of free role to, to sort of cover gaps and maybe step up in possession. But the players who had to change were right back, right midfield, right wing. And they changed longitudinally. They didn't, didn't change laterally. Centre back, centre midfield, centre forward. They could interchange. Left back, left midfield, left wing could interchange. But you didn't get the left midfielder swapping with the centre midfielder. You, you might because of where the ball went and where runs have taken you. But that was never part of the plan. Um, so I, I, you know, I think I think you're right. I think I think that's that stepping from fullback into midfield, that that, that diagonal movement, it is a risk. Um, and I think it's interesting Guardiola doesn't do that in the big European games that he has stones in the middle stepping up from there, which seems a safer way of doing it. Yeah, I mean you're completely wrong about the about the total football. I don't know whether you've been watching Ted Lasso, but everyone starts with everyone. That's what that's what happens. The modern manager like Ted Lasso, that, that's what happens, Jonathan. So I, I mean Ted Lasso where which 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 book? Which has been featured regularly in the your book is on every yeah. every week. Coach Beard never stops reading your book. Yeah, so so his inspiration's coming from that. You know. Any 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 royal any royalties from your book on Ted Lasso every week? Do you get well? I, the, well, I, I get uh, I get money from the sales from that. I mean, it's it's perfect product placement, right? Has he done? Has he done well for you? being on it's well. It's it's, it's I mean, it's very difficult to tell, but but there has definitely been an improvement in sales since Ted Lasso became a thing. Really, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I do laugh every time I see see your book. He loves that book, Coach Bean. I've, I've been interviewed about it by both Sports Illustrated and and the Boston Globe. Really? Which is like, surely there's bigger things happening in America than. <laughs> I will say as well. He started reading this book in the first episode of Series One, and we're now into Series Three, and he's still he's still Very first reading. scene of the whole thing. Yeah, and he's still he's still reading it now. Yeah, he's got loads of notes in it, though, hasn't he? Why has he not finished this book yet? No, he's he's going back. He keeps going back to absorb further lessons. You can see he's finished because he's got his post-it notes everywhere. I can imagine. uh, I mean, does Pep read it? Does Klopp read it? I doubt it. We'll we'll, we'll never know, Jonathan. They they might do. You may be inspired all kinds of managers, and that's what it's based on in Ted Lasso. We've spent way too long talking about Ted Lasso and way too long speaking about this game. That that book, incidentally, is called Inverting the Pyramid, and a a new edition is out on June the 8th. I think um, I've have I got the new. I oh, know I've got the previous edition. So I haven't got the first edition. I've got whatever the last ed- edition was. I bought it. I've not read it. I will read it though. I will. Read I don't, it. You I don't, don't care I don't, if I read it or not. No, matter. just buy it. Buy buy the new one. Yeah, I might. I might do. I might do and then send it to you to, to sign and sell it for millions one day. Let's get score predictions then for Leicester Liverpool. Jonathan author, come to you first. Two uh, one to Liverpool. Two one to Liverpool. Ben. Three one to Liverpool. 3-1 to Liverpool. I'll just go 4-1 to Liverpool. Why not? Let's see what happens. Next, we're going to look at Aston Villa against Tottenham. I mean, this must be one of the first times we've done Villa this season. I don't remember getting to talk about my own team very much this season. Jonathan, the European picture for Europa League slash Europa Conference football. Villa very much in the mix, which would have been unheard of when Steven Gerrard was in charge. I don't think even the most ambitious Villa fan would have particularly seen this coming. How do you see that that now? Because I feel like Brighton are probably going to get sixth and it's a straight shootout between Villa and Spurs for seventh in Europa Conference League football. I think that's probably true. And certainly if I were anything to do with Villa, that's how I'd be thinking about it. But Brighton have a pretty tough run in and I think they're showing signs of fatigue. I mean, that defeat to Everton on uh, Monday was was a, was a very bizarre game. Um so I, I I don't think it's totally out of the out of the question that Villa could catch Brighton, but yeah, I mean Spurs are the ones who look vulnerable, and particularly given that Villa are playing Spurs and they can they're three points behind, so they can pull level if they win this. Is that right? Yeah, and presumably their goal is better. No, it's not. Spurs is better. Well, yeah, if you win two 0 though, it goes level, right? So yeah, it's close. Um, Could have done with Liverpool hammering Spurs the other week rather than than letting them back in the game. I think. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, just, I mean, I know Villa have, have obviously had their little wobble as well, but um, I, I still think I mean, if Villa win this, I think they, they they should finish above Spurs, and I think they probably deserve to finish above Spurs uh, given how the season's gone. Villa's fixtures are interesting because they've got 
Tottenham this weekend at home, then Liverpool away the weekend after, and then they finish against Brighton at Villa Park. So you know all these three games, they all they're all they're all big games, aren't they? They're all teams that are, that are playing for something and playing for Europe. Not not often that happens at, at the end of end of a season, but this is a this is a huge game against Tottenham at, at the weekend. Of course, Villa have won their last five at home and haven't conceded. Tottenham haven't won in six away. Ben, how do you feel going into this one? Not confident at all. Although I say that out of every Tottenham game, just not confident. Um, obviously, things have improved since Mason took over, um, but it's just Tottenham are just muddling through to the end of the season. So uh, it's just, the, I think, confidence and on the fan base, confidence on the team is probably quite low at the moment. So it wouldn't surprise me if Villa did win this one. Let's hope so. Let's, fingers crossed. That's what that's what the whole world what wants to say. Villa have had a couple of difficult games. Jonathan lost their last two, one nil. But I suppose Manchester United and Wolves, the two of the harder places to go. I didn't realise that Wolves had kept ten clean sheets at home this season. And Manchester United, I think, have only conceded eight at home this season. So although Villa have stumbled a bit in recent weeks after their ten game and beaten run where they won eight, the two places they have stumbled at are difficult places to go. Yeah, I think that's fair, and also I think it's it's unreasonable to to expect to, you know a team to just sort of keep on winning. You know, to to take twenty six points from ten games is is a great achievement. If there's a slight reset after that, in in as you say, difficult away fixtures, it's not a great surprise. It doesn't mean that Emery suddenly a fraud or anything. It's it's just winning runs always come to an end eventually, and often one defeat leads to another. Um, I, I wouldn't be too worried about either of those. I mean, the, the fact that Wolves obviously is a, a derby as well. I mean, is it a derby you take seriously? I don't know. Is it? It's, it's one that the Wolves fans care about. The other Midland teams care more about beating Villa than Villa care about beating them. But obviously, Villa Villa want to win. You want to win a derby game. And Villa would have t- took great pleasure from tripping up Wolves. You know, but if they but were Birmingham would be your big rival. Birmingham's the big one, yeah. That's yeah. the one. That, there's hatred there, pure hatred. But yeah, there's just that extra sort of random factor of, a, of a, even a minor derby. Um so, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that. I know Watkins has stopped scoring, but again, if you score loads of goals in a row, eventually it comes to an end and there's a bit of a, um, uh, what do you call it, a thingy to the mean. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, oh, regression to the mean. Sorry. Um, Sorry. So, yeah, I, yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't concern me too much. Um where so, does he sit in England terms? Watkins in England strikes uh, the pecking order, do you think? Well, I think at the moment he's definitely the, the first choice, second choice to Kane. Do you think? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, so as, a, as a central striker? Calvert-Lewin's him... played really well, I think. But Tony? Uh, to well, yeah, I mean, Tony maybe, but there's a whole thing about him going to get a ban. So yeah. I, I think there's a caution there. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's... it's yeah, I, I I suppose that the you know, Tony's ban had sort of um, weighed the scales against him, but but I guess if he didn't have a ban, it, it may, maybe it would be the other way. But I, I don't I don't think it's obviously Tony. I, I'd I'd probably I'd probably still go Watkins just as being a more similar to, to in in style to Kane, and that he you know he he can work across the forward line, he can drop deep, whereas Tony I think is much more of a of a sort of focal point striker. I mean, Watkins. The guy, I mean, he was never going to continue scoring. This is this is the problem, isn't it? He was scoring every single week, and that's just it's just never going to continue. So you go a few games without a goal, and people start to ask questions again. But he's had he's had a great season. He's a he's a great player, Riley Watkins. Been really good for Villa, and the way Emery's honed his game and changed certain things has been really good to see. And he he seems to thrive off being the main man as well. The the run of goals has come since Danny Ings left the club, and he became really the, the only striker. So he seems to thrive on the responsibility of of being that main man and knowing he's going to be the person that, that's going to play. Ben, Ryan Mason steadied the ship, although it still looks a, a bit ropey for Tottenham. Would you be happy if Ryan Mason was appointed permanently? Would Spurs fans be happy with that? So this is the conundrum, because I think a lot of Tottenham players, a lot of Tottenham fans, sorry, have a lot of time for Ryan Mason. Um, he's very highly thought of at the club, but it's just a case of whether this is maybe a bit too soon for him. Um, it's just the issue now is that if he doesn't stay or doesn't get appointed manager, will he stick around to that coach role or will he go up try apply his trade elsewhere? Um, I don't know if Spurs fans would be happy. I think it would be a case of steadying the ship until 
you know, for 12 months or so. He should have been appointed in the interim instead of Stellini in the yeah, first place anyway. That decision was incredibly bizarre. Um, it's a tough one because he is highly thought of at the club and the fans do like him, but it just feels as though he's not quite ready yet to take on the full, uh, the permanent managerial position. I mean, you could have said the same about Gary Neal at Bournemouth. He didn't feel like he was ready, but he's signed an 18 managing Bournemouth to managing Tottenham, mm. though, I would say. Very different. It is, yeah. You, you can't, he, he needs to go and manage somewhere else first, in my opinion. Yeah. You can't just have Spurs as your first job. It, it's just not going to work. Yeah, and I think if Tottenham, you know, Nagelsmann is still a favourite, and I think if Tottenham don't get Nagelsmann now, they don't think they ever will. Um, I don't think Tottenham fans would be happy. I also don't think they'd be annoyed if they stuck with Mason, but for the most part, it's leaning towards more that, you know, you, you want to go with Nagelsmann ahead of Mason, which is completely fair enough. And he did change some things last week, Jonathan. Is it a coincidence that Spurs won 1-0 against Palace, kept a clean sheet without Hugo Lloris? And I'm more aiming this at probably Eric Dyer. Um, I mean, neither Lloris nor Dyer have, have played well recently. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not Tony fit for Dallas. purpose. Spurs defense, is it? I mean, so little that Spurs is fit for purpose. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm always very reluctant to, to scapegoat individuals. I don't, you know, neither of them have played particularly well the last sort of two or three months, but equally, you know, were they the cause of a decline or are they symptoms of a decline? And, and I think, in well, certainly with Dyer, I think they're symptoms of a decline. Lloris. I think possibly is getting towards the end, but again, you know that that's something that Tottenham should be big enough to to, to recognise and and ameliorate. Um, so, I mean, should Mason take over? I, I don't know. It's I'd I, I, I'd love to believe that he'd be sort of a you know British Guardiola, sort of somebody with almost no experience who turns out to be a genius. But he's thirty-one with very limited. We just don't know. I mean, people around the club will, will see what he's like with players and um, yeah, how diligent he is and, and, and how inspirational he is. Uh, and But it, there's nothing I've seen of what he said in in press conferences or post-match interviews or anything like that that makes me think he's, he's got anything like the vision of a Guardiola. I mean, he does. So, yeah, I, th- I think he, he he needs to I, you know, either go somewhere else to, to prove himself or be a much more sort of visible number two at Spurs before maybe taking over, I think to 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 appoint Mason now, it would just look like Daniel Levy couldn't couldn't find anybody cheap enough. That yeah, that that would be the way it'd be read, and whether that's fair or not, what it means is if you have a couple of defeats in August, suddenly the mood is as bad as it was under Nuno, and that that's the last thing they can afford. So, if they, if you bring in somebody exciting from the outside, whether that's a Nagelsmann or you know, Anish Lot or, or whoever, um. At least as a sense of an exciting new project, and or maybe maybe there's going to be some pitfalls. Maybe it doesn't start well, and then that can carry over a couple of defeats. But I, I just think Mason, the first sign of trouble, the trouble would be very big. Yeah, if they were going to give him the job, surely it would have been when they hired Nuno, and it was clear that they they couldn't get anyone in, so they ended up hiring Nuno. Surely it would have been then that they well, gave Mason a chance. He is two years older now, and yeah. When he was 29 then, two years is, you know, 12% of his life. That's quite a lot. Yeah, they, they can't give the job to, to Ryan Mace. I really like Ryan Mace. I actually liked him as a, as a as a player as well. I thought he would, thought he was a good player, but you can't be giving him the management role to Spurs at this stage of the career. There's too much to take on there. There's too, too much going wrong at Spurs. There's, there's, there's too much going on and there's too much... Yeah, well, that's, that's the, the, the obvious... As well. That's the other obvious massive difference to Guardiola at Barcelona. That they had a functioning system. Yeah, you know, they've yeah. won. They won the Champions League two years earlier. They had a structure in place, uh, which Tottenham just don't. I mean, talking of functioning systems, Ben Emerson Royal, right centre back last week. I, ne- I never thought I'd see the day. I, I think I think Porro had a really good game with Emerson Royal behind him. Actually, I quite like the look of Porro, but I didn't think I'd ever see a time where Emerson Royal was playing as a centre back. Well, funnily enough, before he got injured, a lot of Tottenham fans were saying that perhaps he should be the right centre back with Romero pushing to the middle. Um, He's defensively good. Uh, I wouldn't say he's great. Obviously, he's still very reckless, but you know that'll come with experience and uh, in time. But you know it masks his attacking shortcomings because he can't attack 
for love nor money, but defensively he's pretty sound and he has the sort of nous and the physicality side, the physicality to play that right centre back role to a good standard, and that would allow Porro to get forward and do what he does best in the final third. So I'm all for Emerson Royal playing right centre back for now and forever because I think it's a system that probably works best for him and for Tottenham if they do stick with a three-man back line. I was his agent touting him for Real Madrid a few weeks ago as well. Or did, did, did I dream that? Have I imagined? Have I imagined that? <laughs> it, it, might, it might have been his dad. It was his dad or his uh, agent. I can't remember which one, but he said he's happy at Spurs, which is bizarre. So, yeah, <laughs> keep him at Tottenham. <laughs> Yeah, I certainly don't think you'll be going to Real Madrid anytime soon, Emerson Royal. I, would, I wouldn't get your fingers crossed for that one. Before we do the just a minute section, let's have a quick word on the on the title race, Jonathan. Do we called... want score predictions or? Oh no! Forget. Oh, to be fair, I've missed two things there. Actually, I've missed score predictions and the combined eleven. So yeah, let's do the combined eleven. Interested? I don't think I've ever seen Villa on this show in a com- in a combined eleven. So so let's go. We're going to go and mix it up, Jonathan. We're going to come to you first. What combined eleven have you chosen? Ten Villa players and Kane. Really? 4 4 2? Well, no, 43 1. So, Buendia playing behind Kane with uh, McGinn and Ramsey wide, and Dendonka and Douglas Luisa back in the field. Okay. Kamara's back. No, he is he back? Have, okay. He could, yeah, he could have had a... Okay, I didn't know he was back. Sorry. Kamara's. So, you're picking uh, 10 Villa players? Yeah, Tottenham are terrible. I think, well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, yes, they are. I'd probably do it a slightly different way. I'd probably go 4 4 2, like Emery plays, and have Kane and Watkins. As, as the strikers and then pick the rest as as Villa. Ben, I'm guessing who scored have probably done ten Tottenham players and one one Villa player. <laughs> no, it's six Tottenham players to five Villa players. We have one for two. How? Because how? because Tottenham are higher in the league than Villa, so that's how we'll do it. not by much. We're a better team. Tottenham are a better team than Villa. Hundred percent sure about that, Jonathan. You, would you, would you go along with that, Jonathan? Even I don't agree with that. Well, it depends what our time scale is, but you know, if we, if you're asking me to pick a team to play a game this afternoon, which I assume is what we're doing, yes, that is the remit. Then what Tottenham did in September is not that relevant. No, go on then, Ben. Let's have a let's have a look at the, the year eleven. Well, who scored right. eleven? Uh, we've got Emi Martinez in goal, back four Pedro Porro, Christian Romero, Tyrone Mings, and Ivan Perisic. Midfield is John McGinn, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, Douglas Louise, and Sun Kyung Min, and then Kane Watkins up front. So. Four for two, Emery would like that, and yeah, that's the end of that. No more, how, no more discussion. How, how has Ivan Perisic <laughs> been chose over over Morana at left back? Alex Morana. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, Morana's been really good for Villa. Yeah, he has been very good. But I mean, Perisic has been sneaking up the assist charts as well, which has boosted his numbers. He's got eight assists this season. Has it? boosted his. Yeah, it's, I know. I'm as shocked as you are. So well, he's not really a left back either. I would argue. No, neither is Pedro Porro. So, but I mean, we'll get torn to shreds, but. Will look good going forward, I'm guessing. So we'll stick with that. I'm not sure I can, I can agree <laughs> with some of the things that I've that, that I've heard there. Let's have score predictions then. Ben, let you go first. Uh one nil to Villa. One nil to Villa. I've got two one to Villa. Jonathan? Yeah, two one Villa. I mean Son only has to look at the goal at Villa Park and he, he seems to score. That's a, a little bit of a concern, even if he is slightly off the boil at the moment. As I said before, I made a mistake. Let's look now at the title race briefly. Jonathan, you called weeks ago that the title race was over. I'm sure you're still going to go with that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Arsenal, they've they, they've stayed in it longer than I thought they might. I thought there was a, a possibility they might completely collapse. Um, I knew they were very, very good at Newcastle last week. I thought it was a really high-quality, good game. Um, and, and you know, the, the, had they lost that, there was a possibility that the title race could have been done on, on Sunday um, if City had won and, and Arsenal had lost. But that's now not the case. Uh, and I, I guess from Arsenal's point of view, what they had to do was, was after they had that run of four games without, without a win, what they had to do was just make sure that if City stepped up, they didn't let them off. I mean, that, that would be the unforgivable thing for Arsenal now. Would be would have been you know say I don't know, say City do slip up against uh, Everton this weekend, and let's not forget that um, they are they are playing Everton, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that Everton did get a point at the Etihad. Um, yeah, if Arsenal, yeah, hadn't sort of made that tell, if they hadn't made that count, if they if they'd lost at Newcastle last week. 
then then that would have been the thing I think that it would have really sort of eaten at them in in the future. Whereas now you said that there's that three games of draws and then got hammered at City, and that's that's maybe a bit more understandable. So yeah, they 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 they, they, they and it, it's sort of just good I think going forward to to sort of. Show that they they are capable of performance like that against teams they'll be battling with next season for Champions League qualification. So, uh, just to show that it wasn't sort of a, a freak that first or two thirds of the season. I mean, in the most basic form, you would say draws at Liverpool and West Ham can happen, and they're not necessarily bad results. I think they'll look back at that Southampton game though and think, God, if only we, if only we. Well, they dropped four points against Southampton this season, which it's not good. Is is, it? Not many teams have done that. No, they, they they haven't. Not many teams have, have done that at all. The change, the slight change recently has been that Kibio played centre back in, instead of holding, and he looked a little bit more astute, hasn't he, Jonathan? Yeah, he, he has definitely. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of I remember talking about that signing uh, a few weeks ago, and sort of saying I, I found it slightly odd when holding looked slightly out of place that this Poland national, albeit one who signed from Spezia. Wasn't getting a look in. Uh, I assumed that you know he'd arrived in training and just didn't quite look Premier League ready. But what we've seen in the last two or three weeks suggests he was ready. Now maybe he just needed that extra time to bed in. I guess there's a, a logic in 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 sticking with, um, well initially with with going with the experienced player, sticking with what you know, and then I guess you don't want to drop drop him immediately and sort of that would scapegoat him. And then, sort of, oh, do you give Kivio his debut away at City? That that would also seem, you know, a dangerous thing to do. So I, I guess there is some logic to it. But but they, you know, they have looked better since Kivio came in. Definitely. I guess he's also very much. I wish I could stop saying our guest today. I've said it about a thousand times. He's a left-footed centre back, isn't he? So he's playing on the on the wrong side. Yeah, that, probably a reluctance to put him in to yeah. because for that reason. But actually, I think he's adapted to that to that quite well. Kind of playing on the wrong side, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean. I'm never that sure what the problem with playing on the wrong side is. I mean, John Terry did it throughout his career. Yeah, plenty of it seems to me when the left footer plays on the right that it seems to become a debate because there's plenty um, of right footers that play left centre back and no one no, ever says anything. I, I know it's partly to do with distribution out from the back that that you know obviously that you're if you're right footed playing on the right, your natural sweep is to play the ball infield. You don't have to sort of turn your body very far to play it out to the fullback, but. I, does that make a massive difference in modern players who are technically accomplished? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it would have made a difference to, you know, a 1970s centre-back, but they wouldn't have been passing out from the back anyway, So, which I guess is why, why it happened. But I don't know. I, I, I Nothing I've seen of Kivior makes me... Th- I mean, not I've seen a huge amount of him, but nothing makes me think he he is sort of clumsy in that regard. So, um, yeah, I, 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 it would be wrong to sort of say... It was a desperate mistake not to play him earlier. But I, I think at the end of the season, when you're doing your accounting, you might think, yeah, that, that's that's something that... That's a decision that Arteta might have made differently that might have made a positive difference. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens this weekend. Of course, two big games in the title race. Plenty of big games this weekend. Let's look at the Just a Minute section. Jonathan, we're going to start with you, and it's Leeds v Newcastle as Sam Allardyce plays against one of his many old teams. <laughs> Yeah, so Leeds really in, in big trouble. Um, second bottom, two points from safety. They've only taken one point from the last six. Um, and after this game, they've got West Ham, another one of Allardyce's old teams, and Tottenham. Um, the, there'll be some encouragement, I think, to be drawn from the second half at City. They, they, they did tighten up there. Uh, but yeah, playing Newcastle is, is very difficult, even after Newcastle's defeat last week. They're still third, three points clear of Liverpool uh, with a game in hand. They've got Brighton, Leicester and Chelsea next. Uh, even losing against Arsenal, they, they, they played pretty well and uh, they had won eight of the ten before that. Uh, is that true? That doesn't sound like it can be true. They'd uh, won five in a row at one point, so it probably is true. Can I, sorry, can I check that? They lost to Villa. They lost many other games. They were on a really good run since post Carabao Cup. Uh, so they they've, they've won eight of the last ten. Sorry, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to pick that up again? Yeah. Um, so even losing to Arsenal, they played well. Uh, they've won 
eight of the last ten, even with that defeat. Uh, Longstaff still out with his ankle problem, which Eddie Howe said caused problems with the balance of the midfield. The uh, cell craft also out for them. Leeds without uh, Cooper Sinistera, Dallas and Tyler Adams, who I think has been a big miss. It was nil in St. James's, but I think Newcastle win, will win this 2-1. I've got a feeling Leeds might win. I'm going to go 1-0 to Leeds, a vintage Allardyce performance. Ben? Uh, I'm going to go 1-0. One 1-0. All. One all. Ben, you've got Manchester United against Wolves at the Paul Ince derby. Uh, back-to-back away defeats at Brighton and West Ham. See Manchester United drop crucial points in the rest of the top four finish. And then also just one point and one place above informed Liverpool, albeit having played one fewer game than the Reds. Uh, United will certainly welcome return to Old Trafford this weekend. Eric Ten Hag remains without key centre-back Lissandro Martinez. There is hope that defensive partner Rafael Varane can return to action this month. Donny van der Beek, Scott McTominay, Tom Heaton and Phil Jones all remain absent for the hosts. Wolves are now safe from relegation following their 1-0 win over Aston Villa last weekend. They can play with freedom for the final weeks of the season. Home advantage has been key for Julian Lepetegui's side with their away form abysmal. Indeed, they come to Saturday's trip to United on a six-game winners run, losing four on the road. Uh, this has remained without trio Sasha, Sasha Kaladzic, Bubakar Traor, or Chiquinho, but I have no further absolute concerns out of this one. The visitors won this game last season courtesy of a late Jaume-Tinho goal, but with United dominant at home and Wolves poor on the road, ten hard side should get back to winning ways. And I think United will win this one 2-0. 1-0 to Manchester United. Jonathan? 2-0 to United. 2-0 to United. I've been desperately trying to think of someone who played for Chelsea and Forest whilst you were doing that, Ben, and I've not come up with anything. So Chelsea. John Terry. Oh, come on. You know, he was in my head for some reason. Jody Morris was in my head for some reason. Did he play for did he play for both as well? My, I don't know. Maybe. No, well, Chelsea Forest for you anyway, Jonathan, the John Terry Darber. So after eleven without a win, Forest have now won two of the last three, but notably both of those wins were at home. They've still only taken six points away from home all season, and they've lost the last eight away games in the league. Uh, that leaves them three points above the relegation zone. They've got Arsenal at home next, um, and then Palace away. So they really do probably need to get at least one win away from home out of these last three games, uh, unless they can take something against Arsenal. Yeah, they they uh, did have that cup win against them recently at home, didn't they? Uh, Chelsea ended the run of six straight defeats at Bournemouth last week. Slightly fortuitous, maybe. It wasn't the most convincing performance. Um, but that at least ended Frank Lampard's uh, pointless start. Uh, failed to score in six of the last nine. Load of injuries. Kudabali, Mount Kukurea, James, Chilwell all out. Fafana's a doubt. Uh, Forrest got a load of injuries as well, of whom the most significant was probably Nico Williams. It was 1-1 at the City ground, uh, but I think Forrest away for me until lose this 1-0. Ben? I think 2-1 to Chelsea. 2-1 to Chelsea. I'm going to go 1-1. For this one. Palace v Bournemouth is next for you, Ben. The Glen Murray derby. I've got one there. Oh, nice. Straight in. Uh, having secured their Premier League spot for another season, Crystal Palace have taken their foot off the gas a little, winning only one of their last four. They're unbeaten at three at Southwest Park, where they look to win the campaign strongly. Roy Hodgson is without pair Nathan Ferguson and James Tompkins, while James McArthur is a doubt for the Eagles. Palace are, Palace are unbeaten four home meetings with Bournemouth winning the last two, so we'll be confident putting another three points on the board here. A 3-1 loss to Chelsea last weekend means Bournemouth aren't quite safe just yet, but they are nine points clear of the relegation zone with three games to play. Should be confident playing Premier League football next season. Uh, but Bournemouth actually have a decent away record this season and travel to South London on a three-game winning away winning one. Away winning winning run, got there in the end. Uh, Gary Neal is without Hammer Traore, Marcus Tavernier, Ryan Fredericks and Junior Sanislas, while Kiefer Moore is pushing to return to fitness in time for Saturday's game. Uh, I think this one will end 2 all. 2 all. Jonathan? 1-0 uh, to Palace. Winners Palace. I'm going to go for 1 1. Come up with a light shout for Southampton v Fulham, which is your game, Jonathan. The night Atty Niemi derby. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, the goalkeeper, the Finnish goalkeeper. The Finnish goalkeeper. Anti Niemi. Did I say his name? Atty Niemi. Yeah. I was pretending Birmingham. I knew who you were talking about. Like, oh, no, what? no, no. The, oh, I thought you did genuinely did. Atty Niemi, we call him in Birmingham. Right. Okay. Um, Southampton, eight points adrift with three games to go. They have to win this or they get relegated. Um, you look back at this season, Hazard was sacked on November the 7th when they were 16th. They've taken 12 points from his 14 games in charge. They've taken 12 points from the 21 games since. That Nathan Jones interregnum looks disastrous, but Sellers' record is not great either. Two wins in 14 under him. They've only taken nine points from those games. And crucially, they've only taken three points from the last 10. Although, weirdly, 
those who come in draws against Manchester United, Tottenham and Arsenal. So against better teams, they seem to, to do slightly better. Fulham, uh, a 5-3 win uh, against Leicester means they've now won three and lost eight of the last 11. They've got big injury problems. Pereira, Reem, Kazawa all out, Mitrovic suspended. Pero, Salasu, uh, Larios and Belakotship out for uh, Southampton. It was 2-1 at Craven Cottage. Uh, I think Sam might get another point here. So I'm going to say 1-1, but they'll be relegated. I'm going to go 3-1 to Fulham. I can't believe Mitrovic is still suspended. He's been out for about a 1,000 games. Ben? Uh, I think 2-1 to Fulham. 2-1 to Fulham. Brentford v West Ham, I've got absolutely no derby. I really struggle with, with Brentford. I really, really always struggle with players that, that played for Brentford before. Side Ben Rama, come on. No, but he still plays for West Ham, Ben. So you can't, oh, you can't, you can't have that. It's not, it's not how the game works. Uh, I've got, I've got nothing for Brentford. <laughs> um, sorry, it's a tough one, isn't it? Well, let's let let's let Ben do his minute, and then we'll try and have a think whilst he does it. Yeah, uh, Brentford saw a three-game unbeaten run come to an end at Liverpool last weekend as they fell to a one-nil defeat at Anfield. Bees have lost just twice on home turf this season and won the only league home league meeting with West Ham, getting the better of the Hammers two-nil in this fixture last season. Uh, there was a little change on the injury front for Thomas Frank with Pontus Janssen, Keane Lewis Potter, Thomas Dracosha and Christian Norgaard all absent, though the latter pair could be available for the final game of the season. West Ham do take on RZ Alkmaar in the semi-final first leg Europa Conference League meeting tonight and while not mathematically safe, Hammer sits seven points clear of the drop zone with three games to play and I'd like to focus their efforts on securing European glory. Uh, at the time of record, Gianluca Scamacca and Vladimir Sufalik have learned absentees, while Kurt Zuma should be fit to face Brentford even if he misses out against RZ. Uh, the Hammers have one of the worst away records in the division, picking up 12 points from 17 games, and that's unlikely to change this weekend, with Brentford I'm back into win 3-1. Uh, I'll go for... I'm going to go for 1-1 again. Jonathan? Um, 1-0 to Brentford. I've still got nothing for players that play for Brentford. No. Not a jot. Hard one, that one. Uh, Everton, Man City for you, Jonathan. I was going to go Jerry and Lescott, but I don't like him after how he played for Villa. So I'm going to go the Richard Wright derby. Everton yeah. v Man City. Uh, Everton, fourth bottom. Um, two points clear, relegation zone. That win at Brighton, you feel, was was essential for them. Um, partly because of the, the manner of it. They suddenly looked a team... For, for whom the shackles are off, that that was confidence returning, and it followed a, a run of nine games without a win. Uh, so what that means is they they have taken seventeen points and fifteen under Dice. So there has there has been enough of an improvement there, I think, to, to justify his appointment. They got Wolves away next, which isn't easy, as we were saying earlier. With Wolves' defensive record at home, uh, and then Bournemouth at home, which is pretty much what you want, I think, if you're in a relegation battle. The last at the end of the season, a team who's already safe. Uh, City won ten in their own league. They they should be on track to the to the, to the title, uh, but you do wonder what sort of side they'll put out given this between the two legs of the Champions League semi final. Um, the one point clear of, of Arsenal game in hand. It was one one at the Etihad. Surprisingly, uh, Everton playing much better uh, now with with Calvert Lewin back. Eight, they scored eight goals in the four games since he returned, but I still think City will have enough and they'll win two nil. Two nil. I'm going to go for one nil to Man City. Ben. Uh, 3-1 to Man City. 3-1 to Manchester City. Ben, the final game that we're going to look at is Arsenal v Brighton. The best I've been able to come up with here is the Matty Ryan derby. Nice. Um, I will go back to Brentford-West Ham. We could call it the Winston-Reed derby. Winston-Reed back for Brentford? Yeah. They played on loan in 2021. No memory of that whatsoever. Jonathan, you look confused by the Matty Ryan derby. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sort of feel there must be players in the eighties who played for Arsenal and Brighton. I can't, can't help with that. But Matty Ryan was the <laughs> got. If I'm in doubt, I tend to look for goalkeepers, and that's that's what I've done there. That's fair enough. Anyway, uh, back to back wins over Chelsea and impressively Newcastle has given Arsenal renewed confidence in their title bid, and they sit just one point behind Manchester City, albeit having played a game more. The Gunners do have the third best home record in the division, which bodes well for this must-win game against Brighton. Uh, Mikel Arteta has no fresh injury concerns for Sunday's meeting with the Seagulls, with Taikiro Tomiyasu, William Saliba and Mohamed Elneny all ruled out. Uh, Jakob Kiwior should keep a spot at the back alongside Gabriel at the expense of Rob Holding. Uh, Brighton were uncharacteristically poor in their 5 one warning at the hands of Everton on Monday to dent their top four pursuit. Roberto De Zerbi's side do have two games in hand on the side, some of the sides above them in the table, but top six finish surely the aim now. The Seagulls have one of the best away records in the Premier League this season and have won through their last four trips to Arsenal. Deserby, however, does have a number of injury concerns and none more so than Sonny March, who may not play again this season. 
uh, Tariq, Tariq Lamptey, Jeremy Sarmiento, Jakob Murder, and Adam Lanana miss out for Brighton, while Joel Veltman should return to action next week. Uh, I think Arsenal win this one 3 1. 2 1 to Arsenal. Jonathan? 2 1 to Arsenal. 2 1 to Arsenal. Right then, that does us for this week's edition. Uh, oh. Sammy Nelson. No, nothing. Left back. No. Liam Brady obviously was manager right in the early 90s, which I think is what I was initially thinking of, that there was a link there. But no, I've got Yeah, Sammy Nelson. Thank you for interrupting my outro. To, to, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime I can, I can <laughs> do in it. <laughs> always, always appreciated. So yeah, that's it for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast by Who Scored. Dot com. Make sure you're joining us again next week. Subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on and leave a comment below and give it a like as well if you have enjoyed the podcast. I mean, even if you haven't enjoyed it, give it a like as well because those kind of things help. As I say, we'll be back next week. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all the football and stay safe.